Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday morning broadcast of the Marvin and I Methodist Church Sanctuary Service here in downtown Tyler. My name is Doug Baker, and I'm the senior pastor of this faith community. My prayer for you will be that this morning's message will bless you and encourage you to become the person that Christ has called you to be through Him. Again, welcome. Here's today's message. And I invite you to remain standing as we hear from the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles, these select verses from chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Good morning. I'm Charles Anderson, and what a privilege it is to stand and preach uh, from this pulpit, which has been a source of light and life, not only to Tyler, but to all of East Texas for generations. In generations. It's a high honor to preach here, especially when I know the preaching you've received from this pulpit. I've known many of your pastors in particular. I've known Dr. Mike Dent since 1978. Mike still has the same amount of hair as he did back then. <laughs> I've changed some, okay? And it's the same color still, Mike. It's not fair at that point. But I know the preaching you had there from here from this pulpit from Mike and Mike and Sharon were here. And then Doug Baker, Doug, who looks exactly the same age now as he did 35 years ago when I first met him at that time. I'm the picture of Dorian Gray for, for Doug, okay? Doug just stays the same age and I just keep on aging. You've had some great preaching from this pulpit. And I can say it, 
that between uh, Doug and between Mike, I kind of feel like a lion in a den of Daniels. Okay, I just really shouldn't be saying anything, but speak I must because that is the task for today. And if I am to speak, let me at least say this before I do. As your district superintendent, I want to thank you for the grace, the kindness, and the vision you showed in allowing Doug Baker to have this time of sabbatical. What a gift you have given not only Doug and Gina, but this church, investing in his well-being and a time to deepen his soul and replenish the waters of life. That's a deep, deep gift. You know, when pastors, I, I can tell you this, Doug won't, but I'll tell you. When we pastors go on sabbatical, we're scared to death of two things. Just absolutely scared to death. We're scared that the congregation will discover they can't live without us. The second thing is we're scared that the, that the congregation will discover they can live without us. You all have been the church of Jesus Christ, not only in Doug's absence, but giving Doug this time to have spent such, such important time with Ruby. What a gift. You all have truly been the church. And I praise God and I thank you for being the church of Jesus Christ and the investment you've made in your pastor and in your future with the sabbatical. Let's pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And if in the words of this one we hear not the voice of God, then please speak to each and every one of us in the quietness of our own hearts. Amen. He was discussing with a group of junior high youth what is unique about the Christian faith. What makes the Christian faith uniquely Christian? He was talking at that time about grace. And so he asked, he asked the group, what makes grace different from, say, mercy or justice? One student answered this way. He said, well, when a cop pulls you over for speeding and gives you a ticket, that's justice. When a cop pulls you over for speeding and gives you a warning, that's mercy. But when a cop pulls you over for speeding and gives you a Krispy Kreme donut, that's grace. Well, that's one understanding, watch yours. How do you understand grace? How do you understand what is the single largest word in the Christian vocabulary? You know, of all the religions all over the world, only Christianity talks about grace. You will not find it Anywhere else, it is the one indispensable, indispensable essential for a Jesus-based faith. So how do you understand this grace? I was reading some research recently. It said that the number one most popular Christian hymn among American believers is guess what? Amazing grace. Fairly simple. What the research also discovered, however, that is that the favorite Christian song among American non-believers is 
Amazing grace. Because grace is just that big. So, what's grace? And, and, and what exactly is so amazing about it? You know, in, in the entire Bible, New Testament, Old, no one, and by that I mean no one, ever talked as much about grace as did the Apostle Paul. It's Paul, known as Saul, called Saul in our text this morning. It's Paul, who's called oftentimes the apostle of grace because he writes about it so much. And this morning, I want to suggest that if we really want to understand grace, then we need to go back to the beginning of Saul's story. You remember the text, which I just read, begins around the year 36 AD, three years after the Holy Spirit has created the church in Jerusalem. That church is flourishing, it's growing, but it's running up against resistance and opposition. And then you recall, Stephen is murdered as the first Christian martyr. And that causes this great persecution to erupt, led by a Pharisee named Saul. Acts 8 tells us that Saul actually went from house to house in Jerusalem, ferreting out Jesus' followers to arrest them and to persecute them, bring them to trial. It became so bad in Jerusalem that believers began fleeing the city, some going as far as 130 miles north to Damascus. So Saul heads north to Damascus, wanting to find these believers, arrest them, bring them back. And let me just stop and remind you, Saul actually thinks he's serving God in doing this. He actually thinks he's serving the God that he's fighting. He believes that Christianity is a lie that needs to be eradicated. It's dangerous. He believes that the, the resurrection of Jesus is fake news. So here we have Saul fighting, pushing against God, thinking that he's serving God. And then on that road to Damascus, all of a sudden we have this incredible, unexpected intervention. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. You know, Jerry, the amazing thing to me about that moment is Saul doesn't get the God he wanted. Saul doesn't get the God he expected. Heck, murderer and terrorist that he now is, Saul certainly does not get the God he deserves. But Saul does get the God he needs. Now, how's that for grace? Getting the God you need. Or even better yet than that, it's God. It's God who actually gets the Saul that God wants. I mean, God just flat out goes out and catches Saul. What if that's what grace is? What if grace is God going out and getting the you that God wants? always wanted. Saul's story reminds me of a certain woman. She's not only been highly disappointed by her adult son, she's been uh, oftentimes emotionally abused by him, sometimes even physically. He left the house in a rage several years ago, never returned, eventually was arrested for burglary, convicted, sent to prison. So what does she do now? Well, every weekend she goes to the prison to visit him. For a long time, he refused to see her. She kept coming back, kept coming back. 
Finally, he said he'd see her. On the first visit they had together, the guards had to restrain him and take him back because of his violent attitude towards her. And she kept going back, and she kept going back, and she kept going back. And finally, he relented. He relented. And now they can talk peacefully together. She's the only one who ever visits him. When asked why she would put up with that, she said, I'm determined not to give him the last word. She said, I will not let him define this situation. And then she said, I've got a claim on his life and I intend to collect. When I take her story and her words, move them over here and hear God say the very thing, same thing about Saul. Hear God say of Saul, I'm not going to let him determine the situation. I'm determined not for him not to have the last word. I will not let him define the situation. I've got a claim on Saul's life and I intend to collect. That's grace. That's the meaning of grace. That's the amazing of grace. Grace is Jesus invading our lives when we need him the most and expect him the least. Let me say that again. Just like that mother's claim on her boy, grace is when Jesus invades our life at that moment when we need him the most and we expect him the least. Grace is the non-stop pursuit of a living God upon you. And whether your name is Saul or Charles or Beth or Sue, God says, I've got a claim on your life and I intend to collect. Because you see, Saul reminds us that you and I are, we're, we're a sought people. We are a desired people. We are, we are pursued. God's love, we talk a lot about God's love, God's love. Folks, God's love is, is far more than an emotion. God's love is a pursuit. It is a seeking, searching, hunting love. God's grace is not so much a feeling as it is, well, as it is a finding. Can you think of God's love less as a feeling and more like a finding? During a dark time in her life, a woman in Tim's congregation told him how she had been praying over and over, God, let me find you. God, let me find you. God, let me find you. And nothing happened. Nothing. Then one of her friends said, you need to change your prayer. I said, what do you mean? Friend said, you need to be praying, God, find me. Come find me, God. After all, you're the good shepherd who finds lost sheep. And recounting this to Tim, she said, Tim, the only reason I can tell you that story is because he did. Well, that's, that's grace. It's less of a feeling and more of a finding because we are a desired people. We are a pursued people. God always takes the first step. God chooses to step into our lives when we need him the most and deserve him the least. The gospel is not about being good. The gospel is about grace. We are rescued when our hearts are caught captured by God. And you and I are monuments to God's intervention 
and rescue, which is a great gift. It's an amazing gift, especially when we realize what's at stake. And here I'm personally thinking about about moms and dads and, and grandparents whose daily prayer is for Saul. Who is Saul among your children and grandchildren? When I was serving churches, I had a habit of praying through the congregation alphabetically. 26 letters in the alphabet, 52 weeks, you can pray through the alphabet twice, A's for one week at a time, B's. I would pray alphabetically for a week at a time for everyone in the church, praying the prayer request that they would send me. Do you want to know what the number one prayer request was, no matter what church I was serving, no matter where I was in the alphabet, what the number one prayer request always was? It was for Saul. It's for that child who has no connection to living faith. It's for that child or grandchild who no longer gets Christ affiliates or or connects with Jesus Christ or Christ's church. The prayer requests almost could be copied. They were the same. They'd say, they'd write, we don't understand. We took, we were in worship each week. They went to youth group. They went to UM Army. They were in the choir. They were raised better, better than this. They know better. What can I do? Well, what can you do with Saul? Listen, just because your loved one is not seeking God does not mean that God isn't out there seeking them. I think, I think about, I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis said after God caught him. Lewis said, I feel so sorry for atheists because God is so relentless at getting what God wants. The God of Scripture is a relentless God. And that grace of his is a relentless grace. And when your children are acting like Saul, perhaps your prayer should not be so much that they, that they eventually find God, but that God inevitably finds them because you and I are already monuments to God's intervention and rescue. It's God's grace to seek, to search out, to pursue, catch and claim us. And grace, well, grace is when God flat out goes out and gets the you that God wants. Some of you may already be familiar with Anne Lamott from her best-selling autobiography, Traveling Mercies. Now, here's a woman whose life was a chaotic mess. She grew up in a really dysfunctional household. Her mother dabbled some in Christian science. Her father, who was the parent, who was the child of Presbyterian missionaries, was violently anti-Christian. And Anne grew up heavily into drugs and, and alcohol and casual affairs. In fact, one of those casual affairs left her pregnant. Anne grieved the news and she spent the next week after receiving that news uh, doing drugs and getting drunk. Now about a week after she had received that news, Anne suddenly started bleeding heavily one night. And this went on for several hours. It absolutely terrified her. When the bleeding did subside, 
She got into bed. She was, she was too shaky to have a drink or take a sleeping pill. So she had a cigarette. She turned off the light and she went to bed. But then she became aware that where there was someone else there in the corner of that dark room. It was so real that she turned on the light, looked, didn't see anyone. Anne writes, but after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. She looked up again there in the dark, and sure enough, she said she saw Jesus in the corner of that room, sitting on his haunches like a cat ready to spring, staring at her. And Anne was appalled. She tried to think what it'd be like for any of her, tell any of her friends that she had seen Jesus, much less thought about being a Christian. She said out loud, I would rather die and turn to face the wall. But the presence was there. The presence was there. The presence stayed there. She said throughout that night, she could feel the presence of Jesus sitting there on his haunches, staring at her with patience and love. She eventually drifted off to sleep, and in the morning she thought the presence gone, except it wasn't. Because for the rest of that week, the presence became a pursuit. She said, everywhere I went, I felt like he was pursuing me, that he was chasing me. She said, she's described it like a little cat, a little cat following her wherever he goes. Have you ever seen a stray cat follow someone? Just follow them. She said, he said, the presence was like a stray cat just waiting for me to bend down and, and pick it up and, and hold it and open the door and let it in. But Anne knew how stray cats work. You know, you give a stray cat, you open the door and give a stray cat some milk. That cat ain't going nowhere. It's yours. She didn't want that kind of presence in her life. It's not compatible with who she was. The next Sunday, Anne went to a nearby church that she sometimes dropped in on because she liked the singing. But she was hung over from the night before, had an overwhelming feeling that she didn't deserve to be there. She started crying, left, ran all the way home with that little cat scampering, pursuing her all the way home. When she got to the door of her house, she swore softly to herself and she said, I quit. She took a deep breath, paused, opened the door and said, okay, you can come in. And Anne says that that is the hinge on which your life turned in a different direction and everything changed. And Anne was brought to God simply because God flat out went out and caught her, which is something Saul would understand. And you need to know that even if your experience is not like Saul's or not like Anne's, the grace within your experience can still be just as profound because you are a monument to God's intervention and rescue. Grace, grace is when God flat out goes out and gets the you God's always wanted. And if you were to ask me how you might find peace of mind, I would say, let God find you. After all, 
You're not the only one searching.
I'd like to leave you with these words of encouragement. God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Together, we can change the world. Please contact me at marvinumc.com or join us in person for worship. May God bless you.